Well, today we pick up our time in James, and uh, we are in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read that for us, and then uh, pray, and then we'll get started. Okay, so let me read God's word. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time in God's word. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to gather as a congregation. Thank you for our time of worship so far this morning as we've come to you in song and in prayer. And now we come to your word. We pray that you would bless our time, profit our time, so that we may understand and actually be doers of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we begin with this. No. Yes, that. Uh, I actually updated those slides. Um, there, was a, there was supposed to be a picture uh, of an overhead projector. But uh, I guess I uploaded that too late. And... Um, I'm just going to describe it for you. If you grew up in the 70s or 80s or even to, into the 90s uh, at any given youth group, you were confronted with the overhead projector. It was through the overhead projector that we would sing songs. Uh, I think it got phased out in the early or early 2000s. Am I right? Maybe? Okay. But because I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, um, that's what I grew up with. And now, I bring that up to illustrate that what the overhead projector does is you put a transparency uh, thing on, on the top, and it projects onto the screen, much like we have it here, okay? And, uh, you know, it was just a part and parcel of being a part of any given youth group. Now, why do I mention that? Well, okay, took all, all that time to mention an overhead projector. Okay. I would like for us to imagine um, if we could stick that in our heads, this morning. And if we were to be able to project your innermost thoughts, your heart, 
What's currently on your mind? And I know it's not football anymore because the Super Bowl is done with. Praise the Lord. And you can move on to the next sport, guys. But if we were able to project those things, what would it be? Okay, what would be in your innermost thoughts? What would be in your mind right now? Would it be something about God? Would it be something about his word this morning? Or would it be, what am I going to have for lunch? Because that's what would be on my mind. When is he going to get done? I hope he's on time. I hope he doesn't go over like Nam. Okay, so you're thinking a, a, a bunch of things this morning. And what it does, it reveals our heart. Okay, and that's what we want to get to. Okay, now James doesn't use that term specifically, heart, but what he uses is that it's our passions it's our internal desires that are within us and ultimately reveal who we are and so much so that these internal passions as it were these internal desires manifest themselves in our very lives And it's these very actions that reveal whether we are going to be a friend of God or an enemy. And as you can see from the the title this morning, it says, How to Become an Enemy of God. But there are steps. There are stages in which James is going to describe how we get there. And it starts with our desires okay so you see the outline this morning there we're going to go step by step to see what james reveals to be the steps that we take in order to become an enemy of god now if uh, i don't know if any of you are going to remember but the last time we talked about james was this idea of wisdom. There is a earthly wisdom and there's a heavenly wisdom. And this wisdom reveals itself in our very actions. And it's consistent with how James shepherds this early church, is that he wants to let his congregation know, his people know, his readers know that real faith reveals itself ultimately in the way that not only that we think or desire here this morning, but in the way that we live. And uh, last time we were together, wisdom reveals itself on whether you're going to be a man of peace, a person of peace, or of strife. That's what real, real wisdom is. It reveals itself. You're going to be either selfish, you're going to be... Uh, someone that envies you're going to practice evil or you're going to be wise and it reveals itself in being person of full of mercy of good fruits 
and ultimately of peace. He transitions here to show that you can really tell if you are that you are not wise and not only not wise but you are against God if you are against peace. In fact, this language here at the very beginning in verses 1 and 2 shows that you're going to be a person of strife. You're going to be a person of conflict. Okay? So here's point number one this morning. The very first step that we can take to become an enemy of God, it begins internally. It begins with selfish desires. He asks this rhetorical question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What is the source of conflict? And he begins by saying it starts from the inside. Is it not this, that your passions, and when it's talking about passions here, it's talking about the sinful, self-indulgent desires. And he goes on, he says, that are at war within you. Conflict always starts internally. It starts with our hearts. It starts with our minds. It starts with our thinking. It starts with the things that we are meditating upon. Scripture makes clear the heart is deceitful. Who can understand it? And when Scripture talks about the heart, it is the internal mechanism that covers the mind, the will, all of the processes that ultimately reveal itself in our actions. So Christian, this morning, what are your passions? What is it that you are seeking? What is it that you are desiring? What is it that you are meditating upon? It is these things that will ultimately drive us toward conflict. And it will, because why? Why? Why do you think it's, it's going to drive us to conflict? Because it, he'll, 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 he'll enumerate that in the rest of the section here, okay? But it's the things that we meditate upon and that, that don't get fulfilled that are ultimately going to cause conflict with each other and with God. Think about the things that are in your heart that are part of your desires. Maybe marriage, maybe having children, 
maybe having a better job, maybe having a different family. You think of all the things that you're thinking about in terms of your wants and wishes, the things that you are constantly being bombarded by this culture that says you need these things. I love Pepsi. So does Pastor Gary. Well, where does that come from? From all those commercials. You know, right before you watch a movie and they put on the screen, That's Coke, by the way. <laughs> the, the, the world around us is constantly bombarding us with things that we supposedly need and want. Okay. And it changes. Okay. Do we need uh, the next model of Tesla? We do because it's been discounted. But we're, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? Is that externally this world creates a system where you're constantly craving and desiring something, the next thing. Not all of it is bad. Part of it is just life. And part of it is the good things that the Lord himself gives unto us. But these things, what James is talking about, are self-serving things. The things that are for yourself and only yourself. It is when we become overwhelmed in our own minds with these passions. This is what causes conflict. There's a little bit of connect the dots this morning. We're going to see that these passions reveal themselves in a kind of worldliness and a kind of worldliness that reveals itself in terms of the way that we treat people and ultimately God. But again, we ask ourselves this morning as we begin this process, if we don't want to be enemies of God, we first must evaluate the very passions that are within our own hearts and minds. It is this place that begins the steps we take in order to become an enemy of God. So again, Christian, what are your passions? What are you thinking about? What is it that is at war within you? In 2 Timothy 3, 4, okay, it talks about the last times and, and those men that, are, that will be revealed as, uh, as unbelievers and they, they'll be marked and characterized by various things. In verse 4, I want to point out, 
They will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This world has a lot to afford. On YouTube, I'm a subscriber of uh, this channel called Business Insider. And the reason why I am is because, uh, because of the algorithm one day it just uh, flashed on my feed. Uh, the most expensive this or that. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll do a deep dive into the most expensive caviar. Why is caviar so expensive? Okay, Or why is uni so expensive? Do you know what uni is? Sea urchin. Okay, And I go, wow, there's actually $200 uni? Okay, But there's a $200 anything, basically. And if you have enough money, you can enjoy all these pleasures of the world. And again, over and over again, we are bombarded with these options, these options to seek the things of the world. It creates an inborn desire. So it's not just from without, but our hearts naturally gravitate toward ourselves. And as such, you can see the road in which it will take us away from the Lord. It is precisely because the world and also our internal desires constantly move us away from the things of God. Look at verse 2 there. It's parallel. You see, you see, you desire and do not have. So what you do, you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You desire, you murder. You covet, you fight and quarrel. All because you don't get what you want. This is what James is pointing out. Now, some have thought that it's literal murder, okay? Um, but, you know, uh, I think it's more of a spiritual idea, okay? Not uh, the literal killing. And uh, there's various reasons why. Um, it'd be very difficult to think that um, the early Christians... And the early church were dealing with an issue where because you have inordinate passions, you're literally killing each other. I think that would have been in early history books, okay? But uh, um, some have conjectured that there was uh, these early um, Jewish sect called the Zealots that literally did cause violence, mayhem, and killing uh, during the first century uh, because of their beliefs. And so, uh, you know, there's some thought that James might be uh, dealing with uh, these groups and these issues in the early church. 
But again, you, you can find a little to no evidence of that. Okay. So I think the idea that James is confronting us with is this spiritual idea that in our hearts, when we hate, we can murder. Um, you see a similar idea in 1 John uh, 3.15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Okay. So similarly, James is pointing out the severity of this desire and passion leads us to spiritually or figuratively hate and murder. Okay. In uh, there's also others that think that this can be a hypothetical eventuality that um, he's, he's summarizing hypothetically. If you hate enough, if you desire enough, uh, and you hate enough, you, you'll eventually cause murder. But I think uh, it's best to just, just to take it as, as uh, a spiritual encounter where there's enough hate uh, that, and because of our desire, there's enough hate in our hearts that we are figuratively murdering, okay? So num that's number one. Okay, so out of our selfish desires, that's step number one. So our first step in becoming an enemy of God is to internalize our passions and that's the road in which we have now begun. The second step that we take is a lack of prayer. Look at the second half of verse two. You do not have because you do not ask. There are reasons why they do not obtain what they desire is because they do not think to ask. It's in the present tense here that this was indicative of their ongoing behavior. So not only is there a, a deep passion involved, but the second step that we take is that we simply do not ask of the Lord. In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said that ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Earlier in his address to his readers, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what? We simply ask. And you see here, that those that are consumed in their passions and in their desires don't, don't desire to look to the Lord. Again, we look to ourselves. There's a curious thing in our culture, this idea of being a, a self-made man. And it's something that, you know, uh, it is uh, propped up as, you know, a, a positive thing. 
But taken to the nth degree, it means that you are not a humble man. You are not a prayerful man. You are someone that seeks to do everything on their own. So one of the things, again, we ask ourselves, on this road to becoming an enemy, the first thing is we're consumed by our passions. The second thing is we desire to achieve these things on our own. It is devoid of God. It is devoid of acknowledging that all good things come from Him. So there's a self-reliance, a propping up of self and our own skills and our own ways of doing things. Do not have because you do not ask. Not only is it a lack of prayer, or, there you go, it is an unrighteous prayer. Okay? Not only is there a, a, a desire for self-reliance, of self-will, of doing things on your own, but when you do ask, you ask wrongly. So there's a second group of, of people that James is addressing. There's one group that doesn't even ask, period. And then there's a second group. When you do ask, you ask wrongly. And again, to spend it on your passions. That word there, wrongly, you can also uh, define that wickedly or in an evil manner. You see there that they're spending it on their pleasures, on their passions. We see here that God is not the sovereign God of the universe, but He's a mere genie there to fulfill our very wants, desires, and wishes. Christian, this morning we ask ourselves, what are our prayers like? Are they sinful? Are they selfish? Are they just a means to get what we want? Again, there's so many things that we can want in this world. And sometimes we kind of spiritualize and... and uh, Make, make it as though, you know, this is actually what God wants. Okay. Let me give you an example. Okay. Is it true that all of our children need to go to a good university? I'm reading the room here, and all of you, almost all of you are Asian. It's a given. And we create an atmosphere, even within the church, that says there's a certain track to life. 
there is a certain markers that we must hit. In the 30-year history of this church, we've but produced two missionaries that we've sent out. I don't know. Is that a good ratio? We've had hundreds of people come through this church. There seems to be an assumption that I'm a sender. I'm going to make X amount of money. I'm going to send my kids to this university, and we're going to repeat and rinse that process. They're going to have their own families. It's not an evil thing. It can even be from the Lord. But there's an assumption here. Right? God, this desire I know aligns with your desire. Does it? Is the question we ask. It's just, we're just asking it. Okay. We'll continue to go through this cycle of continuing to spend on our passions our pleasures is it necessarily God's we want to ask ourselves are we asking God with the wrong motives are we keeping his desires in mind are we keeping passions in mind Lord please bring a hundred more people to this church so that there would be a trickle down effect where we would get more offering and I would get paid more you see what, what I did there okay is that a good desire? Yeah. hundred more souls that are saved that come to this congregation to be part of this church. That's, a, that's good. But you see my motives there? Ultimately to benefit me. And if, you know, if your pastor says they don't think that kind of stuff, they do because I'm one of them. We need to be careful about the things that we ask of the Lord. Is it according to what he desires? Because you let that stray, you let that go out of hand, you're going to become an enemy of God. Number four. <clears throat> you adulterous people. You adulterous people. You see this language over and over again 
in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 13, 27, Ezekiel 23, 37, Hosea, all of Hosea. In Matthew 12, 39, Jesus calls them an evil and adulterous generation because he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees because he had led, they had led their generation astray, away from the Lord. When we are consumed by our passions, we are seeking that and our own, our own pleasures. We can be categorized as adulterous people. There's an imagery, scripture, that Christ and the church are united in a very intimate bond. Of husband and wife. Okay, we see that in Ephesians chapter 5. And that was the perspective of God with his people in the old covenant. It was an intimate relationship, but one that the Israelites over and over again betrayed. And when that happened, God took it personally to the degree that he would use terms as adultery. And you see that there was adultery, that they would turn their backs to idolatry over and, and over again. But we see here more clearly that the adultery that James is talking about is an adultery of worldliness. It's a friendship with the world is enmity with God. That word friendship there is an intimate term. It's almost equated with love. Intimacy or fond affection. And the word world there, you see, it's a system of values, deeds, and loves that are at odds with God. And it most clearly reveals itself in James in the way that they treated poor people and rich people. The way that they used tongue, their tongue in relationships. So you see, worldliness has a different manifestation. We often think that it's just for like sexual pleasure or material pleasure, okay? But worldliness can also re reveal itself in our relationships. And the way, because the way that we view money, that is the way we will view people. We talked about partiality. In James chapter 2, when a man with gold fingers, gold rings comes in, you tell him to sit in this place. When you see a poor person, you put them over there in that corner. When we are enveloped by our own desires and our passions, it will manifest itself in worldliness. And worldliness 
has various forms. And then James, you see it markedly in the way that they treat people. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Here's our punchline this morning, okay? When we go down this path of self-reliance, desiring our own passions, our own things, we make ourselves to be an enemy of God. First John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What we're talking about here is this continuing, consistent pattern of worldliness. Okay? Now, even Christians are not exempt from this. Okay? There are periods in our own lives as we are Overcome by our own desires, our own flesh, that we give into these things. Okay, but here it's talking about more of a consistent overall pattern of life. And those that give themselves over to themselves and to their passions, this is what it's talking about. It is those that consistently live without any indication that God is in their life. So we're talking about intimacy here, okay? And again, we ask ourselves, is that me? Am I so consumed and affected by this world and my, my, the proclivities of my own heart that I've taken such a deep dive into this world believers now verse 5 this is the most difficult verse in James no lie okay and I'm going to just give you the uh, cliff notes version of it okay because um, we can go another hour just the various interpretive options that we have here. But this is not a seminary. And you can read a commentary on your own. But I'm going to give you uh, some of the difficulties here. In verse 5, as you see in the ESV translation of it, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, okay, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. The first problem, number one, is that there is nothing in the Old or New Testament that has anything to do with that quote. Okay, you're not going to find anything close to that. Right? That's problem number one. Problem number two, okay, is, is the spirit referring to the human spirit or to God's spirit? Okay. Now, if you look at the various translations, most uh, prefer God's spirit. Okay. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I'm going to give you what I think in my study that I've come with. And I've already given you my translation of, of this section. So number one, um, in verse five, I think we take the first and the second part as two separate clauses, okay? Meaning, the question that James poses, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that uh, Scripture says? What is he referring to? Well, I think he's referring to all the things that he talked about before, okay? And you can find that idea throughout Scripture. That is, the idea of uh, friendship with the world is going to lead toward uh, conflict with God. That worldliness leads to adultery, and adultery leads to becoming an enemy of God. So uh, that's number one, okay? That this first clause is referring to that idea. And then secondly, that uh, you see how I've translated that the spirit which dwells in us yearns jealously, okay? Meaning, it's a bookend to his first statement in regards to our own passions within ourselves, okay, within our own spirits. That internally, and that word jealously is always used negatively in the uh, New Testament. And if you're going to refer that to the Holy Spirit, it's a little problematic, the other problem with seeing that as the Holy Spirit is that uh, this, is, this would be the only mention of it in the entirety of James, if this is uh, the reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, one argument that it is the Holy Spirit, there's a definite article. And most times that the definite article is used in front of the Spirit, it's usually the Holy Spirit. But there are times when the definite article is used and it's the human spirit as well. Now, again, with all those difficulties, uh, the, you know, the best, again, uh, you know, if you disagree with me, you know, uh, yeah, that's okay, okay. But in terms of the way that I've uh, looked at this, uh, I really believe that it's the human spirit that it's, it's referring to. Again, using it as a bookend uh, in his uh, first statements about the, the passions, the internal passions, and a book, book ending it here in verse 5 with the spirit that yearns jealously or yearns evilly, okay, or, or self-centeredly. Um, and again, pointing out that that is something that we do internally, okay. So this, these processes lead us to... Uh, Become an enemy of God. You see steps one through four. And very quickly here, we'll close with this. God's solution, okay, in verse six. What is God's solution for, for those of us that give into this, that live for our own selfish pleasures and passions, and it reveals itself in worldliness? To this, God gives grace. 
fact, he gives more grace. The evil desire in man, the strength his, of his depravity cannot overcome his grace. You see the adversative there, but uh, it sees, we clearly see that God does not treat us according to who and what we are. He would be infinitely justified to wipe away humanity because of our proclivity proclivity toward self-rule and self-satisfaction. But that is not the action of God. The action of God is to give more grace. It is not a one-time event, but it is an ongoing, present-term, tense giving. God continues to give us greater grace even in the midst of selfish passions and proclivities. Grace is God's divine help You see there in Ephesians 2, 4. Out of his kindness and his mercy, while we were yet sinners, he gives us grace. God is the one that breaks the power of our self-rule, our self-passions, and replaces it with himself. This is his solution to us being his enemies. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, this is, uh, this is not available to you. But it is to those that humble themselves. You see the second part, it says, Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Quotes from Proverbs 3.34. The proud there is one who sets himself face to face against God. But you see there, to the humble to the dependent, to those that acknowledge their need for a savior, he will give grace. This morning, as you reflect on the patterns of your life, the patterns that we all develop as we go through the day in and day out, we need to reevaluate. Are we just going through the motions, ruled by our self passions, our self desires, a lack of prayer, a lack of connection with God, a wholesale giving in to worldliness, or are we submitting ourselves to the grace of Jesus Christ? This free gift 
comes through humility. We need to acknowledge that only God can change our thoughts. Only God can change our passions. It is in that state where God can transform the selfish desires of our heart and transform them to the desires of himself. We are in a constant battle, brothers and sisters, a battle for our hearts, a battle for our minds. What is it that dominates your life? Is it the thoughts of God and his kingdom and the progress of it? That there would be many workers in the field? That the salvation of Jesus Christ? Or are we consumed by this culture? Consumed by the things that this world can afford? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning acknowledging that each and every one of us has faltered in this area. And we ask for your forgiveness. But more than that, we ask for transformation, that we would not wallow in our sin and being defeated, but we would turn to you in humility, acknowledging that it is only your grace, the unmerited favor that you give through your son, Jesus Christ, that we have now the potential and the possibility to change. And so, Lord, I ask for myself and behalf of this congregation that we would evaluate our minds and hearts to see where we stand, that are we living for your desires and not ours? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.